reading from the Gospel of Luke. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. After I was ordained a deacon, um, really all the way up until my first year as a priest, I experienced uh, a bit of anxiety because I was honestly not sure how and if I was going to be able to help people, like really help people, not just, you know, encourage them, but really help people in their relationship with God. I was 32 when I was ordained, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm 32 years old. Like, what do I know about life? What do I know about God? No offense if anyone's 32. (laughs) But for me, I certainly didn't know anything about life. Still really don't, but I'm 43 now, so um, not a lot has changed. But um, immediately after ordination, as obviously is expected in the life of a priest, I began to listen to so many people's problems and so many people's struggles. And, you know, as hard as I tried, and I really tried hard, their problems and their struggles were impossible to figure out. There was never a simple solution to give. Every person, every circumstance, every situation was so unique and so different. I remember, like, after a month of priesthood, like, going through all of my notes in the seminary, thinking, the answer has to be in here somewhere. <laughs> like, maybe I was just sleeping that day during class. And I'm frantically looking through all of my notes. 
And sure enough, there was nothing there. <laughs> but during the Easter season of my first year as a priest, I have no idea how this happened, but somehow and in some way, I remember I was just alone in the chapel uh, one day praying, and all of a sudden it just occurred to me that our life is not a problem. That it's not something that we have to figure out. All of these people that I was listening to, God was not asking me to solve their problems. And he was not asking me to figure them out. And I realized that morning that the only way that our life makes any sense is when we see it and live it through the Paschal mystery. Through the suffering, through the death, and through the resurrection of Christ. And that the Paschal mystery is ultimately the only reference point that we have for our life. And it doesn't mean, of course, that we ignore things like psychology or just basic human development, but that ultimately the truth about us and God's desire for our life is beyond those things. Are they helpful? Of course they are. They're very helpful. But they're not enough. And when I realized this, instead of asking, where is God in my own struggles and in the, the struggles of those who, I was, who God was sending my way, I began to realize that ultimately that what God seemed to be doing in all of us was inviting us to live more deeply his Paschal mystery with our life as it is. And I wish that I could say that once I realized this and experienced this in my own life, that it was consoling, or that I never struggled or suffered anymore. That reality was, and it continues to be, piercing at times, confusing, and painful. Sure, the Paschal mystery contains the resurrection, but only after the passion and death. In the Gospel of the Presentation, once Simeon sees the child Jesus in the temple, he addresses these mysterious words to Mary. This child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. What is Simeon, Simeon saying to Mary? He's telling her and he's reminding her that she, like all of us, but she, the first among us, that she too must walk in, live in, and through the Paschal mystery of her son. No one is exempt from the Paschal mystery, not even the mother of God. But she's all, he's also reminding her that she, as the mother of God, has a unique and profound role in that Paschal mystery. That she cannot be a passive observer in the life of her son. And neither can we. In the Catechism, in paragraph 618, it has these, these beautiful lines. It says that in his incarnate divine person, Jesus has united himself to every man, the possibility of being made partners in a way known to God in the Paschal mystery. And then it says, this is achieved supremely in the case of his mother, who was associated more intimately than any other person in the mystery of his redemptive suffering. This is very mysterious and holy ground. What does this prophecy of Simeon tell us about Mary and her role in the Paschal mystery? St. John Paul II, in his beautiful encyclical letter on Mary, Mother of the Redeemer, he says that Simeon's words here are like a second annunciation to Mary. Because they tell her the destiny of her son. That his mission as Messiah and Savior will be accomplished, but only in misunderstanding and only in sorrow. The gospel is the good news of God's love for us. And this prophecy here is the bad news of humanity's response. Namely, that when God comes to us in Jesus, we reject him, and we have him put to death. 
So in this prophecy, there are two worlds, two mysterious worlds that are colliding. It's the affirmation that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but only through the Paschal mystery. And then St. John Paul II goes on to say that Simeon's words confirm Mary's faith in the mission of her son. She never doubts who Jesus is. However, Simeon's words also reveal to her that her life, lived in obedience to him, will include suffering. Since he is the suffering Savior, her motherhood will be mysterious and sorrowful. In a private revelation to St. Bridget, Our Lady said to her that there was not one hour in which this grief of Simeon's words did not pierce her soul. And she said to her, to St. Bridget, As often as I looked at my son, as often as I wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and as often as I saw his hands and feet, so often was my soul absorbed in fresh grief, for I thought how he would be crucified. And if we think about this aspect of Mary's motherhood as being sorrowful, this is so true on just a human and a biological level. Now, there's more occurring here for Mary than merely her role as mother. But I think, first of all, we have to look at this on a purely human level. Every mother that I know, regardless of how old they are, regardless of how old their children are, whenever they are suffering in some way, the mother suffers. If their child is anxious, the mother is anxious. If the child is sad, often the mother is sad. Mysteriously enough, even if the child is suffering something physically, it's not uncommon that the mother will be suffering something physically. One of, my, one of my nephews, not the one I mentioned today at Mass, but my other nephew, when he was, he's 22 right now, but when he was uh, 19, he started having these seizures, just really out of nowhere. And um, he, would, he was having them like every week. And so he was going to see doctors and they couldn't really figure out what was going on. Thankfully, it's a, it's a lot better now. But during that time, um, my sister uh, went for her 
regular physical. And when she went, the doctor told her that she had high blood pressure. Something that she never had before in her life. Would she have had the high blood pressure if my nephew was not having seizures? Probably not. The connection and the unity between a mother and a child is so profound. There's nothing like it on this earth. So Mary's role as mother of God is not one of passivity. She does not merely give birth to Jesus and then disappear. But rather, she is being invited to walk with him the whole way. A way that includes suffering. And because it will include suffering for him, it will include suffering for her. And here is the mysterious and beautiful reality that through her own suffering, her suffering with her son, that she can collaborate and participate in the saving mission of the suffering Savior. That is so extraordinary. And this reality is true about us as well. What specifically, though, is this suffering for Mary? Well, I think it's, it's twofold. So Mary is not just suffering as a mother of her son. Her suffering is more than a mother losing her child, which, of course, is a tremendous suffering. Mary's suffering is the suffering of a mother who is losing both her child and her Lord. She is the only mother whose son created her. Therefore, she is a mother who who must both watch her son and her God be persecuted abandoned and killed. When a mother's child is suffering or is killed, she can turn to God in her pain and devastation. But when Mary's son, who is God, is suffering and killed, Who can she turn to? This is a whole level of suffering that we are not aware of, thankfully. 
And this level of suffering accompanies Mary throughout her life. It just doesn't occur during the Passion. Every time he is rejected or ridiculed by the crowds, the Pharisees, the scribes, her heart will be pierced as well because her son and her God is being rejected. And of course, this twofold suffering culminates on Calvary when her son and her God is crucified and dies. Now what is true of Mary is true for us. Obviously, Mary's role here is unique. But it's not entirely remote from us. In St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says these mysterious words. I rejoice in my sufferings, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So probably the most mysterious words of St. Paul. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Nothing, of course, except Paul's participation in it. With his humanity, with his life, as it really is. And Paul can say that it's lacking at the time because he's still going through his life. He's still living the Paschal mystery. He's still walking in the Paschal mystery that he is being invited to every day in his life. And so are we, as long as we are alive in this world. Our participation in the Paschal mystery is not over. Imagine for a moment being able to say, certainly like Mary did even before St. Paul, but imagine being able to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. And in my flesh, I complete what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, I don't really say that ever, unfortunately. But if I did, and I really believe that, how different would at least my life be? How different 
would our life be if we saw our struggles? If we saw all of the many challenges of life, all of the many challenges of our vocations, all of the mysterious things that we encounter in this life as a participation in the Paschal mystery. Instead of proclaiming the words of St. Paul and following the example of Mary, we oftentimes see our life as problems that need immediate fixing. We see other people, circumstances, situations as part of the problem, as adding to the problem that is our life. And until these problems are taken care of, I can't be at peace. I can't pray. I can't live my vocation as I'm called to. And so we search so desperately, so frantically, for something, for anything, that can take our problems away. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we should ignore our problems or not seek to remedy difficult situations. Of course we should. It's common sense. I'm simply saying that there there is a greater reality at work here. Yes, we seek the help that we need in this life, whether it is psychological or physical or whatever it might be. But that it's not the end. That it's part of a much larger reality. And that larger reality is that God, through these things, is inviting us to participate in the Paschal Mystery. And that our yes to it can bear tremendous fruit, both for ourselves and the world. To be honest with you, this is probably the greatest thing that we can do with our life. Some of the most fruitful missionaries in this world are people who are lying in a hospital bed. You've all met them, and so have I. People who are accepting their role in the Paschal mystery and seeing it not as a curse from God, but ultimately as an invitation to participate in his own very life. This is how Mary was being invited to live her life, both in and through 
the Paschal mystery. With the Paschal mystery as the ultimate reference point for her life. And she said yes. Every single day. And what Mary was being invited to in her life is exactly what we are being invited to in ours. Mary's presence in our life helps us, like nothing else I know, helps us to say yes to the Paschal mystery in our lives. This doesn't mean, of course, that we live every day in the Passion and in the death of Christ. But that, as we all know, we've all gone through the Paschal mystery, and we are all still going through it. It's been 11 years now that uh, I've been a priest. And I no longer have that anxiety that I first had about how or if I would be able to help people. And it's not because I've acquired some knowledge or wisdom somewhere. But it's simply because the more that I listen to people and the more I listen to my own heart and the more I live my life with Mary, the more I can see Jesus and hear Jesus in my life and in all of our lives. And what I see him doing and what I hear him inviting us to to live more deeply in his Paschal mystery. A mystery that, yes, does include suffering and death, but ultimately a mystery that includes resurrection. A resurrection that is eternal and continues forever. And so, following the example of Our Lady, let us not be afraid of our lives. So many people are afraid of their lives, of what will happen or what might happen. We don't have to live like that. Let us not be afraid to live our lives with all of the difficulties and all the sufferings and all the crosses that we might have. Because all of those things are part of the beautiful and mysterious reality that is the Paschal mystery, which is the mystery of our lives.